Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Investing Now. I'm your host, Daniel Brooks Klein. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm not actually Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm Simon Erickson. Dan, our esteemed colleague and host of the show, is having some technical difficulties. Promises us that he's going to be back in soon, so I'm going to have to stop winging it as host of the show for the time being. I'm joined by several of our lead advisors here at Seven Investing, Matt Cochran, Steve Simonton, and Max Chatsko. Now, our first story for today's show is about the market sell-off. And we've been talking about this a lot, but we've got perspectives from each of our advisors to kind of chat about how we feel about investing in today's market, right? And so, gentlemen, we've seen some headlines, right, about inflation might be kicking in. Maybe interest rates are going to go higher. Maybe that's going to punish overvalued tech stocks in the NASDAQ. And then we've also seen kind of the other side of this story, too, uh, where people are saying, well, there's stimulus checks that are coming back out, right? What about the large retailers? What about the large companies in the Dow Jones Industrial Average? What is this going to mean for them? And so we've kind of seen a divergence of some of the types of investable ideas out there. I'm not going to focus on the specific earnings or the specific headline news uh, that's going that's going out there right now, but I would like to focus on long-term investing because our approach at Seven Investing is, of course, to buy and hold through market sell-offs, through market bull markets, whatever it might be out there, we tend to stick with the companies that we're recommending because we think they unlock value over time. And so, Steve, I might start this question with you of if you're an investor out there right now, what is one piece of long-term investing advice that you would give to us? Um, I would say think long-term. Uh, that's one of those things that a lot of people fail to do in markets like today is they focus on, oh my gosh, uh, my stock is, is plunging. I don't know what to do. And it's, it's massively frustrating. And if you extend your time frames that you're thinking of, you know, extend them out to years, not months or even quarters, uh, think about where a company's going to be a couple of years from now. Yeah, great point. Think long terms. Don't think of strategic plans rather than just earnings that are quarter to quarter, right, Steve? Yes, exactly. And uh, that that makes it a lot easier to determine uh, what a stock's going to do as long as its business is heading in the right direction. Its share price, uh, assuming you stepped in at a reasonable valuation, should eventually follow suit. Okay, great. How about you, Max? What's one piece of advice you give to investors? I would say uh, it's good advice for life too. Don't skip leg day, right? And by that, I mean, uh, go and develop a thesis, right? It's just the simplest thing we can really do, uh, but a lot of investors don't do it. It's kind of amazing, right? So you want to ask, why do I want to own this business for the long haul? Um, what could go wrong? How will I know if it goes wrong? How will I know if it's going right? Develop a thesis, develop an outline, develop a framework. Know why you own uh, every stock that's in your portfolio, and then this will help you navigate periods of volatility. Um, I need to do this because I, you know, live in, you know, drug developer space here. There's volatility is just part of the game, right? And I'm waiting years sometimes for some of these theses to play out. Um, so if a stock's down like 20 or 30%, sometimes I don't even care. I don't even blink because that's just par for the course, especially if my thesis remains intact. So in periods of broad market volatility, like we have now, where, you know, stocks go up and down uh, all the time, right? Every day, it's kind of shifting around a lot. Uh, a thesis is really, really important. Yeah, that probably gives a lot of calm in the middle of the storm, right, Max? If you know what you're looking for, combining that with what Steve said about thinking longer term, you probably don't get as skittish and want to sell when the market is selling off because you say, hey, things are looking just great for the fundamentals of my company, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, again, with biotech, I mean, you need to know what the thesis is and uh, uh, it's really calming to to you know, if something goes down or up 10% in a day, 
uh, again, I don't blink uh, if it's my thesis hasn't changed, and oftentimes it doesn't. Perfect. Thanks very much, Max. How about it, Matt Cochran? Steve said, think long term. Max says, develop a, a thesis. What's your advice for investors? Well, both of those things, like uh, think long term, develop a thesis. The other thing I would say is look for companies with like a special advantage, like a, what we would call an economic moat. You know, remember, stocks represent ownership in a business, and good businesses are built upon the ability to eventually generate profits. But those profits don't come free, though. They're going to be earned by doing things differently or more effectively than what's already available. And we want to invest in companies with sustainable competitive advantages. Uh, these are called moats because that's what, you know, if you think about medieval times, there's moats that surrounded castles and that would protect it from invading armies. Uh, you know, and, and in the same way, you want to think of companies, what protects them from competition so that they can continue to generate profits over the long term. Um, you know, this can be anything from like uh, a patent that grants exclusive intellectual property rights, uh, brands that can, can customers love and repeatedly buy from, or just something that would be like uh, that products that are so familiar with customers that it would be very costly or time consuming to switch to something else. Whatever the economic mode is, you want to buy a company with a special advantage. You want a company with an economic moat that can protect it from competition, uh, copying what it does. Um, and these are the things that are going to allow companies to charge higher prices and generate greater profits over time. Fantastic. Now we have a special guest for today's Seven <laughs> Investing Now, Dan Klein, our very host of the program. Welcome back yeah. to the show, Dan. So Simon, literally my computer just stopped doing anything and then the spinning thing came up and would not restart. I had to unplug, cut the power off. So I, I don't know what went wrong, but we are back. Um, Simon, thank you for taking over. This is Seven Investing Now. We're going to be answering your questions. We have a bunch saved up from Twitter. But if you, wherever you're watching this, if you want to share questions live in the feed, we will try to get to those as well. And of course, we are starting out by sharing our investor tips. I know Matt went. Simon, who hasn't gone? Is it just me left? Just you and me, Dan. Uh, we've gotten from everybody else so far. Simon, why don't you go and then I'll jump in after. Well, to remind everybody what we've just heard, including Dan, you know, we, we talked about some of the ideas we have for investors. Uh, Steve said, think longer term. Matt said, you know, have a thesis. Matt said, look for competitive moats. Mine is going to be add to your strongest conviction ideas over time. This is counterintuitive because we've kind of been trained to look for bargains, right? We want to find those companies that have just sold off so significantly, and we're going to buy them really low because they're going to shoot right back up and we're going to get a bargain. But in reality, if you're an investor, all you care about is the forward-looking returns of your stock. You don't care what the price was before. You don't care if it's fallen in value. You don't care if it's at an all-time high right now. All that matters is going to be what is going to be the return for you going forward based on the stock that you have in your portfolio today. And so one technique that I personally like to do and do all the time is look for my winners that are getting stronger, even if they're selling at all-time highs and higher and higher stock prices. I'm only looking forward, so I have no problem adding to companies that are winning over time, even if they're sitting, sitting at all-time highs. So that is back to me. Uh, I thought of the question. So, and it's really because I wanted to answer it. Uh, for me, it's remember that conventional wisdom isn't always correct. So conventional wisdom says physical retail is dead. Well, what retailers have died? Sears is mostly dead. JCPenney is mostly dead. Uh, GNC is struggling. We've had a lot of bankruptcies. The common thread is these weren't well-run companies. There's lots of brick and mortar retail that's doing really, really well. Um, and that's really what you have to look at. Is the underlying narrative false? Here's another one. 
Airlines don't become a good investment just because the economy is opening back up. Yes, more people will travel, but prices are, are going to be depressed. Fuel costs are, are rising. We don't know if business travel, which is the most lucrative segment for most airlines, is going to come back. So it really is, uh, you know, a lot of what people believe isn't always true. The other one is sports betting. You take any sports property and go, oh, they'll add sports betting. It'll be great. Sports betting is going to be a commodity. I'm not saying that doesn't mean that some of these plays won't, won't be good investments, but just tacking on sports betting to, to Fox Sports or DraftKings being able to operate in more places doesn't mean that there's not going to be incredible competition. When you log into your television, if every platform allows you to bet, that's going to be competition. This might just become a where am I at the moment that I'm going to go. So really part of why we're here at 7investing is we do the homework. We don't just give you the sort of top line answer that that you know a lot of common commentators on various cable news outlets will just give you that sort of very basic spin. We give you the deep analysis. With that, we're going to be moving on to taking your questions. We've got a whole bunch of them from Twitter, but of course, we'd love to see some new ones live in the feed. Simon, I'm going to throw the, fir the first one. It's really two questions to you. Sam Bailey, you have the graphics. These should be one graphic. Uh, the first one is from, Ch from Chooch, and it's, what's the deal with all my high-tech growth stocks? Uh, and Mac Lou says, when or will this yield-induced tech correction be over in your best guess? Simon, can we have an exact date when it's going to be over? <laughs> I wish I could give that to you, Dan. That would be fantastic. Uh, what I will say is that if you're a long-term investor, this doesn't matter. And this is based on statistical uh, evidence, you know, that we've looked over the best performing stocks in the market, right? So the top quartile of performance of the S&P 500. And we look at those over 10-year periods, right? Now, if you compare the one-year period versus the 10-year period, there's a lot more noise based upon valuation. And where I'm getting with this is I think a lot right now of what's going on in the market is based upon valuation. People are willing to pay a higher or lower multiple of fundamental sales, of fundamental earnings, of fundamental cash flows, based on what they think interest rates are gonna do over the next six months, year, two years, whatever it might be. And then if interest rates go up, they say, oh, time to sell my tech stocks, goodbye NASDAQ, and you see these SaaS companies, software as a service companies selling off. But if you're looking at 10 year periods, 90% or more of a stock's return is based upon its fundamentals, not upon the valuation multiples of those fundamentals. So if you're investing in 10 years, do you care if interest rates are going up this year and then they come back down in a couple of years? Do you care if the market is going to give it a higher multiple this year, but it's going to come back down next year? Probably not. You know, and so to answer the question, which I think is a great one, Mac and Chooch also, of when is the exact date when interest rates are going to go up or what's the exact action of the Fed going to be in these next six months? Unless you're looking to get in and out of your companies in six months. I don't think it really matters. Focus on the companies that are disrupting their industries and showing the right operating metrics, like Max said at the beginning of the program, because that's going to carry your returns over the long term anyway. And we're still seeing very, very low rates, even if they go up. This is not, they're not going to spike rates here. So the next question here, I'm going to throw it to Max. And Max, you're not going to have an answer probably. But a blue collar investor wants to know, are there any stocks that have a play into the wedding industry. I ask you, Max, because you're the only one on the team who could still have a wedding as you are not married. I have an answer here, but curious if there's anything that pops into your mind on this one. Yeah, why would you give this to me, Dan? What are you trying to say? Huh? Um, I don't like this. Are you so, talking? To, you're talking to my sister? Is that what's going on? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit because I, I wanted to, act, to actually answer the question. I would say maybe Bumble, but I have no idea. What is there like an actual? I don't know. Like, I have no idea. 
So I actually would say that Macy's and uh, and Target to an extent might benefit. I think we've had a lot of people push their weddings off. Uh, and I think we might see wedding registries that are a little more practical. It's not sexy to register at Target, but you know what you need when you, you form a new household together? You need plates and you need dishes and you need regular stuff. And I think we've moved past the era. Nobody has formal dinner plates anymore. My wife and I didn't register for formal dinner plates. We kept things very, very casual. So do I think it's going to be a meaningful driver? No, I think it's going to be one or 2%. I do think you might see a, a boom in, in higher end restaurants for a while. But again, I'm not sure how you're going to separate the wedding business from the just general return to normal. Uh, but that is a fun, good question. Uh, with the team here, if any of you want to take any of the questions we're getting live, feel free to let me know which ones you'd like uh, in the private chat. Michael Field says, as a retail investor, how can I form a discipline to add to my existing winners, already have 20 to 25 stocks, and not wander into some new new, which is popping up left, right, and center these days? Someone wise told me, buy 100 shares of 10 companies and not the other way around. I'd argue just buy shares in good companies and don't necessarily put a number on it. But Matt Cochran, how would you approach this? Can you put up the question again, Dan? I was I was private chatting you like you asked. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like you told me to private chat. Yeah, if you want to throw the question back up, uh, Michael Field says, as a retail investor, how can I form a discipline to add to my existing winners already? Uh, so right. basically, yep, go ahead, shoot. Yeah. So, so, so what I would say is, is there's, there's a couple ways you can, you can tackle this is like, is hopefully you get to know your 20 to 25 stocks. Well, and, and as you get to know them, especially over time, you're going to get a sense of when they're on a good valuation uh, than they normally are. Like there, there's, there's quick things you can do uh, like quick shortcuts like that. I would say, so as long as your original investment thesis is intact, like I, I kind of like to look for when they're below their, they're like five, like for instance, it, Home Depot or, or Costco, like you look at their five-year PE average, right? A PE ratio. Uh, and, and if it's below that, that might be an indicator like, hmm, maybe this is a good time to add. Like that's not a perfect, that's kind of like a shortcut, right? Um, that's not like a, a really deep dive on its valuation. But if you're just looking for like quick shortcuts, quick uh, quick hacks you can do, uh, like do do kind of screens like that on your companies. To, to know when they might be better buys than other times. Again, as long as the original investment thesis is intact, it may be the original investment thesis is like not going well. You kind of want to just let it let it sit and, and hold it for a while. And if it's going better than expected, you, you might want to just buy on that. So valuation is not the only thing you should look at. You, you need to, why did you buy that company? And is that on track or is it not? Is it doing better than expected? Is it going worse? And, and, there's like all kinds of factors, but hopefully you get to know the companies in your portfolio well over time. And as you get more familiar with them, you'll, you'll, you'll get a better sense. I have sort of an unofficial philosophy here where if there's something new I want to buy, I generally spend about half my investing budget for the month on that. And then I'll spend the rest of it, uh, you know, sort of growing my positions in other things. Steve Simonton, we haven't come to you. So what are your thoughts on uh, portfolio building here? Yeah, I, uh, I'd say don't be afraid. Um, to, to open starter positions in some really compelling uh, new ideas. And, uh, you know, sometimes those starter positions will, will grow into very large positions. You know, you have companies like Magnite, for example. Uh, you know, if, if you, you know, picked it up uh, early last year, it ended up being a, a solid eight, nine, 10 bagger for you. And, and uh, you know, that's something where you could open a small position. It becomes a regular size position in a hurry. 
And uh, I'd say don't don't limit yourself, you know, to 20 to 25 stocks. Some people that's a that's a good you know size portfolio, and they like the diversification, uh, but also focus that that offers. Um, but but don't be afraid to to branch out. Um, just don't haphazardly uh, buy new businesses, uh, as you you know heard someone on on Twitter hawk an opinion on it. You're like, oh, let's go buy it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you really need to deeply understand what it is that you own, and uh, and and you know that I wouldn't be afraid to you know bring that up to 30, 40 companies or, or even more, uh, depending on on you know the size of your portfolio and how focused you want to be. Yeah, and absolutely consider the source of where you're getting information from. Uh, if something's a seven investing recommendation or pick, or even if it's not a pick, but we've talked about it being a stock we really like, that's a lot better than some person you may not know or some person who may have ulterior motives on social media. Be very wary about what you're seeing on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, uh, you know, your MySpace page, your classmates.com page, whatever it might be. We're going to take a live question from Investment Talk, and I'm going to remind you, get your questions in. I don't see a lot of questions in the biotech space for Max Chatsko, so we don't want to let Max off the hook here, so get some questions in. But Sam Bailey, if you want to pull up that question, would love to hear Matt's opinion on IDFA and Zuck's recent comments. If he has read them, I'm sure Matt has read them. Matt Cochran. Yeah, so I haven't studied him briefly, but I, I am familiar with the gist of the comments. Uh, like basically, Mark Zuckerberg said, like he's confident Facebook is going to be able to manage through Apple's upcoming changes to its uh, iOS 14, uh, which is like a privacy update. It's which basically it's going to make it easier for the iPhone and iPad users to block companies from tracking their activity to target ads. And basically, Zuckerberg's take is is like, well. He he's confident because sellers might be now turning to Facebook and Instagram to directly sell their um to sell their merchandise and products and services because guess what they don't want to pay that thirty percent uh take rate that Apple takes when you sell things through the App Store and, and basically like what I think it's going to come down to is that like uh, Zuckerberg and other large tech companies are going to bet that like uh, Apple's thirty seven. 30% take rate in their app store is going to be a bigger problem for Apple than like Apple's privacy updates in the iOS 14. Um, you know, he, he basically said they were going to create this subscription service for publishers and said they were not going to take any revenue share. And it, he said it took a lot of back and forth with Apple to convince them not to take that 30% fee. Um, you know, uh, Apple is basically blocking innovation and commerce with the 30% fee, according to Zuckerberg. And I kind of agree, like the web browser is something like if, if, uh, if, if Microsoft, like with windows had, had done something like this, like back in the day of the, the first internet, like the web browsers, different web browsers would not have been possible. Like imagine if everything you bought through a web browser had to pay a 30% tax to Microsoft, you know, when Internet Explorer was first out and there wasn't much competition. Like, so it, the, as mobile becomes a bigger thing, the App Store 30% take rate is becoming more and more ridiculous. And I, I kind of agree with uh, Zuck there, uh, Zuckerberg there, that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, but guess what? Companies don't want to pay that 30% fee to Apple every time they sell something on an app just because they got that app to the app store. And by the way, on that call, Zuck upper updated like Facebook. There's now 1 million active shops selling merchandise on Facebook. More than 250 million people are interacting with those shops every month. And look, I just think the next few years, it's going to be explosive for Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp like that. The combination of that is going to be a real e-commerce powerhouse. And I think Apple does have a problem with their 30% take rate in the app store. 
Hey, did anyone else notice that Matt called Zuckerberg Zuck? I feel like they're BFFs. I mean, you guys are friends now, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we message. It, it doesn't feel like Zuck has normal friends. It, it doesn't it feel like Zuck goes into like a closet at like, you know, four in the morning and they just power him down for a few hours and then he comes back on. It doesn't awesome. seem like the, the most personable guy. You know, Zuck, if you're watching, we'd love to have you on. Uh, we, you know, if you, if you want to tell some of your uncomfortable jokes, that would be absolutely fabulous here on seven investing now yeah a shout out to mark thanks for listening we appreciate it <laughs> their avatars talk online together dan <laughs> that, uh, simon erickson you wanted to take a, a question from zuffikar i'll let you read it because there's a couple in there and i'm not sure which one you meant sure yeah so either one of these i think is fair game uh, thanks zuffikar for the question oh kevin chu actually let's go with this one first uh kevin kevin has been emailing us at info at seven investing.com so thank you kevin i'm glad to see you on our live stream show here as well says, because of seven investing, I've dove, I've dove into industries that I believe are the future. Software as a service, cloud, security, artificial intelligence, biotech. But I try to constantly keep some skepticism and then reevaluate assumptions to avoid blind spots. Dot, dot, dot. The question continues. But as of now, I can't see how these industries can end up not being the future. What am I missing and what are the biggest risks for these industries? Okay, so great question. Because so much of growth style investing is future cash flows, right? The value of these companies is discounted back to the present. If it plays out the way that we expect um, and, and they perform admirably, then great. You're getting them undervalued before the rest of the market catches on. If it does not play out the way that you expected, then you're probably going to suffer some pain from those industries. And I can give examples from both of those, right? We've looked at biotech companies, I think could be extremely undervalued as you see the value of this catching on genome, uh, genomic uh, testing. We, we had another question here about uh, Invitae. I think that that is an undervalued industry. I think that artificial intelligence, Steve, I mean, all of the machine learning companies are adding an incredible amount of value right now to corporations that can't even get in the door with them because they've got so much demand for them. But let's look at the other side too, right? The glass is sometimes half empty. 3D printing was something that was really, really hyped up a couple of years ago. Investors were so excited and putting money into 3D systems, into Stratasys, into basically every 3D company, 3D printing company out there. And there simply was not enough demand to warrant the hype that was being put into investments. So bringing this all together back to your question, which is a fantastic one, is uh, Max said earlier on the program, we need to look at operating metrics. We need to not just look at PE ratios and market cap valuations and things like that. We need to look at customer counts, customer retention, rise in operating margins over time, new projects that have a ton of demand for them. Things like this are going to be much more correlated to stock returns rather than just short-term hype which is predictive by the Gardner hype cycle anyway for new innovative technologies. So when we're looking at growth style investings at Seven Investing, uh, myself and my other advisors, when we're talking about these kinds of companies on our team calls, which by the way, we have one of those later this afternoon, gentlemen, so it's gonna be even more hours uh, on the Zoom call with me here today, but we're not talking about things like what is the stock price today? We're talking about operating metrics and how is this business performing, especially for growth style investing where the the majority of the value is going to have to come in the future. Thank you, Simon. We're going to go to a question from the Empire Strikes First, which I'm going to give to Max, but anyone else is welcome to weigh in. Uh, given that a majority of money managers can't outperform a market in index ETF, obviously they don't subscribe to seven investing. Some of them do. Uh, why do people still trust them? Yeah, it baffles me, Max. I, I, I don't really understand why people flock to businesses that generally don't do nearly as well as we do here at seven investing. Yeah, I think it's just inertia, right? It's like 
uh, everyone thinks that's what you do when you're an adult or you reach a certain point in life or you're so close to retirement. Oh, I need to have someone who knows what they're doing, manage my money. Uh, and oftentimes that doesn't really work out so well. You could have probably done better on your own or dare I say with seven investing. Um, so I think a lot of it's just, you know, these habits that we have in society and, uh, you know, maybe you'd be better off without some of those. Matt, Matt Cochran, you wanted to, uh, to chime in as well here. Yeah. The other thing I would say is, is as an individual investor, if you put a little time and effort into investing, you will often be able to outperform money managers. You have many distinct advantages. You don't have to worry about like concentration risk. You don't have to worry about like mandates that, uh, you know, or SEC rules. You don't have to worry about investors taking out money at inopportune times. When the market drops, you can add money. Uh, instead of like often money managers are forced to sell at the worst times because their investors are taking out money. So individual investors, they can have many advantages over uh, money managers. And hopefully like with services like 7investing, that helps them accomplish those goals. Sam Bailey, we're going to jump back to Zuffercar's first question. Uh, why is the media displaying concern between growth stocks and treasury yield, especially if the companies are growing and the economy is recovering. I don't really understand this one either. Uh, Steve Simonton, you could weigh in first. And then I know Max Chatsko has some thoughts here too. So uh, the media, let me let me find that one again. Media displaying concern between growth stocks and treasury yield. So the idea um, here is that uh, as treasury yields and interest rates increase, it makes fixed income investments more attractive and therefore things like equities and specifically ah, richly valued growth stocks tend to be less attractive. And uh, I'd say it's more than uh, media displaying concern. This is something that, you know, sort of causes a pivot sometimes from hedge funds as they kind of rotate into so-called value plays, uh, not necessarily fixed income investments, but uh, yes, those and, um, and in sort of economic reopening plays. But as we see some valuations kind of seemingly stretched for some of these high growth tech companies, uh, we have kind of a, a contraction in their valuation metrics, the premiums investors are willing to pay. Uh, sometimes, some of those contractions are definitely merited and, uh, and, and some of the pullbacks kind of needed to happen in order for a healthy positive uh, increase in share price to continue. But uh, I will say there are um, companies, as as he notes, uh, that are growing and uh, even as the economy is recovering, some of these high growth tech companies are winning for a reason. And uh, I think more than anything, uh, for a lot of them, it, it's a healthy pullback. This you know, sort of the, the growth rates and some of the increases in share price were in the near term sort of unsustainable. And uh, I welcome pullbacks. And as a long term investor and someone who uh, invests with the intention of being a net buyer over the, the next uh, foreseeable years, that's something that uh, that I think we should celebrate as as chances to get in at cheaper prices. So I'm going to jump in before I throw it to Max here. I just want to say one thing. I, I've been a media guy most of my life. And wh whether you're a newspaper editor or a cable TV producer, you wake up in the morning with a big hole to fill. You have a blank newspaper. And, and I used to joke about this, but when I used to run a Sunday newspaper, the best thing that possibly could happen on Saturday is a murder or a fire because I got good pictures or a great story. So sometimes stories like this just get played up because we look at something happening in the market and we need to give it a reason. And there's not always the, the level of correlation that the media is sort of conflating. Max Chatsko, your thoughts here. 
Yeah, I was just laughing. Every time you think Steve's done talking, he somehow ropes another three sentences together. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I was waiting to chime in and then he kept going. Um, yep. Yeah, so everything that Steve said is true. Um, but, you know, just uh, think about this at a high level, right? This isn't happening in a vacuum. It's not like growth stocks were just chugging along for 10 years. And now, oh, no, interest rates are going up by 10 basis points. And there's this massive sell-off and that doesn't make any sense. You know, you either think back. I mean, we're paying uh, for certain growth that like valuations that we wouldn't have paid 18 months ago. Right. So uh, when the pandemic hit, interest rates went to zero overnight. Uh, so that forced a lot of money out of these fixed income uh, pools of uh, securities rather um, and into other assets like real estate or the stock market. Uh, so that helps to push up the prices of some of these other assets. Uh, now, if interest rates are going to go up, which is how the Fed typically combats inflation, um, you know, maybe some of that money is going to drift out of equities and back into some of those other fixed income uh, securities and, and investments. So it does make sense. And it is possible to overpay for growth. So even though a company's growing, uh, valuation still does matter. So, you know, I, I don't cover tech stocks specifically, but at least in biotech, a lot of valuations in my mind are detached from reality. Um, there isn't revenue to go on, right? The fundamentals are a little different. You have to base it on the pipeline. Um, and right now there's a lot of themes out there that tend to lift up a company's valuation in biotech for a drug developer. Um, and they haven't actually earned it. They don't have clinical data or they're not at the, a mature enough point in, in development uh, to really have earned those valuations. So uh, I do think the investors have to be a little more cautious in biotech, right? And this goes back to what we said in the beginning, develop a thesis. Your thesis shouldn't be genomics. That's not a thesis. That doesn't mean anything, right? You actually understand what the company's doing. There's a lot of genetic testing companies, a lot of genomics companies, a lot of gene editing companies. So you have to differentiate between them to find the winners for the long term. You're watching Seven Investing Now. I am, of course, Dan Klein, host of the program. I didn't get to host the program at the beginning because my computer went a bit kablooey, but we are pushing along. I think my computer went kablooey, Simon, because we have a marathon day here. So <laughs> many of you are subscribers, but some of you are not. If you're not a subscriber, on the third Friday of every month at 10 a.m., we host a call for new subscribers. And that's to talk about the service, real basics on the stock market. Where do you invest? How do you use our website? Then at 11 o'clock, 11 to 12.30, we seg into a call for members. And in that call, we take specific questions about our stock picks. So sometimes in the live show, you might think we're ignoring your question. A lot of times that's either because something is a pick, it was a pick, we just talked about it for members, we're considering making it our pick next month. Uh, so we sort of have, we have some hard and fast rules uh, and we have some looser rules where maybe we don't take your question just because we, we might be thinking about making that a pick and we don't necessarily want to give something away that we're going to share with our members. But Simon, if people want to join 7investing, we make it hard, right? You have to battle a dragon. There's a whole <laughs> quest you have to go on. No, we don't. We make it very easy. Simon, tell the people how they can become a subscriber. Well, I've got my, my piece of paper here, Jan, so I can get the correct number, uh, which is actually 18 companies we just gave updates on earlier this morning for subscribers. So just like you mentioned, we talk about the nitty gritty of the recommendations themselves on that subscriber call that we host on the third Friday. Uh, and if you want to join to answer your question, it's super easy. 7investing.com slash subscribe is where you can sign up. And even better, if you're kind of curious about those 18 companies we gave an update on, which included our March recommendations for this most recent month, Dan, uh, we actually are going to give a, a complete recap of that. We're going to give um, our most in, most intriguing ideas. Uh, we're going to compile that into a content piece 
include the entire video from that call for subscribers. And so if you sign up today, you'll have immediate access to that when we publish it on Monday morning. Uh, the video, the transcript, and then the most intriguing ideas all together. So we've got a few minutes left in this call. And what we're going to do is we're each going to pick one question from ones we haven't answered there. And then we're going to close out with a question from our very own marketing guru, JT Street. But I'm going to take John Pallone's question, if you want to bring that up, Sam. Sam, I know we're keeping you on your toes and busy here uh, with all the questions and trying to find them. Uh, but John says, Dan often refers to the possibility of the cruise industry recovering, but only refers to Royal Caribbean and Carnival. But what about Norwegian? So I don't track Norwegian, uh, but generally all the cruise lines perform, these three cruise lines perform roughly the same. Uh, I would expect Norwegian to do well as well. They've been a little slower. Uh, so has Carnival, really. Royal just announced today, while we were on air, uh, that they're going to be doing seven-day cruises out of the Bahamas. So theoretically, Americans could fly to Nassau and then get on a seven-day cruise. Now, that's obviously not going to be a full reboot of their business, but they're cruising in Singapore. They're cruising out of Israel. You're going to see restarts in Europe in, in, in May and June. I think you're probably going to see the U.S. in July. They also decided that they are going to require vaccines. That's a, a bit of a controversial decision. Uh, but that being said, I always expected that to be the case because if everyone has a vaccine, anyone under 18 will, will have to take a test to make sure they don't have COVID because they can't get the vaccine. Uh, but in general, uh, you're going to see a slow recovery. And I would expect that to be Royal Carnival and Norwegian, but I don't dig as deeply into Norwegian. So Max, I will let you go first in taking the two 5G questions, uh, if you want to bring those up. Yeah, I don't know which one Sam is going to bring up. There we go. All right. So um, a couple of people have asked about parallels to you know 5G being all the hype now. Do I see a similar phenomenon happening in biotech? You know, After a post-COVID world, are we going to be more inclined to uh, uh, invest in some of these newer technologies? Um, and again, this touches on some of the things we've already talked about. Um, you know, I think that's a, a tempting narrative to make, but it's important to remember, uh, designing these vaccines, yes, we developed them in less than a year, which was amazing. But we also did that because we had to. Um, you know, all of these drug developers actually designed their vaccines within hours of receiving uh, the viral genome in early 2020. The time-consuming part of drug development is actually running the clinical trials in humans. Um, so we made, you know, calculated decisions on how to accelerate those, that doesn't mean we're going to develop cancer drugs in 12 months now, just because we are in a post-COVID world. Uh, and it, important to remember as well, you know, biology is incredibly complex. I know there's all these cool and innovative things out there. There's cell therapy, there's gene therapy, um, you know, there's CRISPR gene editing. There's going to be some failures in some of these, um, you know, therapeutic modalities. Um, there's going to be things we completely abandon that you can't even imagine right now. Um, you know, and there's newer technologies just coming over the horizon that might do things better than current cell therapy modalities or sometimes better than CRISPR gene editing. Um, so you have to do remain grounded. You do have to, uh, you know, be objective. Don't just uh, try to invest in all these themes if you, if you don't really necessarily understand what you're investing in. Um, so is there going to, yes, we're getting better at developing all of these things, but it's still going to be complicated. You know, we're not going to, we're not curing cancer tomorrow because uh, we live in a post COVID world and we have all these other new tools. Um, it's still going to take uh, a lot of time to develop a lot of these things. 
I also think, Max, that 5G is a great parallel because everyone has been chasing like there's some secret 5G stock that you're magically going to pick out when yeah. the reality is what's going to benefit from 5G? It's Netflix, it's Roku, it's, it's, it's Disney. It's all you know the major players in entertainment. Uh, you could argue that T-Mobile will benefit, but you could also argue that T-Mobile has a massive expense because of it. So I think a lot of times there can be industries that do incredibly well and that doesn't mean there's necessarily going to be a lot of stock market winners in that space. Steve Simonton, I know you wanted to take Levon's question uh, We, we are as we head towards the end here. Yes. Um, says you guys are fantastic. Thank you. Uh, we love you too. I, I appreciate your input, especially on the topics I do not specialize in. I was wondering if you plan to do conviction rankings for the existing recommendations in the future. Now, He's talking about uh, our recommendations on the seven investing scorecard for subscribers. Uh, yes, we have started to do something like that, actually, uh, conviction rankings, where uh, actually just in the call uh, that we finished um, just a few minutes before this live stream, we each chose a company from among our previous recommendations that we consider to be our most intriguing pick. And that's in addition to the recommendations that we release on the first of each month. And we are going uh, to find ways to make uh, the article uh, and the recap of those most intriguing picks every single month, in addition to our formal recommendations, uh, more visible to subscribers. Uh, we are going to uh, to, to make that uh, sort of an incremental value add for people now, especially now that we have a much larger list of recommendations uh, on our scorecard. Uh, we want to try and help members kind of make sense of which of those recs that we like the most. So we are doing that on a regular basis now. It's also important to note that while we don't tell you uh, all that often to sell, if there's a stock we've picked and we've decided, eh, you know, we own it, we're happy to own it, but we don't think it's great to buy because it's it's gone up 10,000%. We'll tell you that as well. Generally, when we pick a company, it's because we believe in that company for a very long time. So we're not going to have a lot of yellow lights or a lot of red lights. Simon Erickson, what is your last question you'd like to take before we get to Matt and then JT Street's question? Oh, goodness. Okay. Let's see, Sam. What's another one we can put on here that we haven't quite answered yet? Oh, bear with me, Dan. Let's go ahead and go with uh, Kevin's follow-up here. I think that there was another question he had about, oh, there it is. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Goodness. For a second there, Dan, I thought that your video was going to cut out and I was going to have to do my best Dan Klein impression again. <laughs> Terrifying for me at the moment. The tomatoes were ready. People were ready to start throwing them. Uh, Kevin asked again, a follow-up about, you know, great that operating metrics sometimes separate the progress versus the height. Yes, we definitely agree, especially in cloud or software as a service companies. But are there higher level industry risks that could cause the other foot to drop, uh, which is turning growth to profits? Okay, yeah, great. So how about this morning, right? We just saw China and U.S. going kind of like this again. And we've been talking about that as a team. And what is that going to mean for Apple? And what is that going to mean for Tesla, which now the Chinese government is saying, hey, no more Teslas uh, for government employees and things like this. I mean, stuff like that, you don't always have control over, even if you're a growth company. Uh, if you're Tesla, if you're Apple, if you're a software company, you might have China in your sites as a market that's very attractive, right? There's billions of people that want your products out there. But on the other hand, we've seen Huawei. You know, I remember how that played out with uh, with wireless kind of uh, equipment for that. We saw the TikTok, you know, the hosting of, of cloud-based uh, apps in the U.S. versus China. I mean, some of these things you have to consider as risks as investors. And no one on the team is named Nostradamus, at least that I last checked. Uh, we can't predict the future exactly how things are going to go. But I think that we do a pretty good job in our re recommendation reports of pointing out the risks and being very uh, objective 
about that, being very truthful and realistic with subscribers and saying, hey, this is something that's on our radar. We're considering this a high risk, sometimes a very high risk company. Uh, but that doesn't always talk us out of it. I mean, Dan, everyone on the team actually bought into the same recommendation this past month, which is very high risk. And this is the first time that everyone on the team has actually all bought the same company or owned the same company, but we're comfortable with those. And that's kind of how investing plays. Uh, you track things over time, but you can't know everything up front all the time. Let me throw out a quick answer to M per Mars question while Matt picks something he'd like to talk about. Love your work, guys. Are you recording subscriber-only calls? Uh, never find the time to the attend. Well, quit your job. What are you doing? No. <laughs> just, just kidding. Yes, uh, Steve, when are those available on the 7investing.com website? The Monday after the call. Uh, so the, on Monday, we will have a recording available with a full transcript and uh, recaps, including those most intriguing picks. Uh, so it'll all be on, on there. On, under our research section, we categorize them as company updates because, as Simon noted, we provided updates on 18 different companies during the, that call about an hour ago. So, uh, yes, they're recorded. And the following Monday, uh, we do release them. And this plays into something incredible on the 7investing website. We now have Yext. So after this show airs, uh, Sam Bailey, our marketing director and the, the director of this show, takes the transcript from this and uploads it to uh, to Otter, which is a, a service we use that, that transcribes the show. And then somewhere between two and five hours later, we're not sure how, how this decides how long it takes to process, I then go in and I make sure that things like the company names are clear. So these aren't going to be 100% perfect uh, transcripts, but you can search on our website, hey, I think Dan talked about Norwegian Cruise Line on the show. I'd like to hear that. And you'll be able to find that 99% uh, of the time. We do transcripts for all the video we shoot. And again, it's not perfect, but it's really useful, even if it just helps you find where in the show so you can go back to listen to that section. But we are getting closer to the end here. Matt Cochran, which question did you want to field here? Oh, there's a turf P question um, on big tech companies that they have uh, like Facebook, Apple, and Amazon have been range bound in the last six to eight months while the overall market rallied. What can that imply? Well, like, so there's, there's two ways to answer this question. And, and the first thing I would say is like over the last year, Apple and Amazon have basically doubled in price and even Facebook with all the questions, antitrust concerns it's faced, it's still up 66% over uh, from, from one year ago today. So like a lot of time, and most of those gains though, those were through the early part of the summer. And, uh, you know, after a big run like that, especially for big companies like this, you know, it's going to take a while to kind of digest those gains if they were justified. And in this case, I think they, they probably were justified, but like, you know, after big runs, like don't, you know, stocks don't always go up forever. A lot of times it's two steps forward, one step back, three steps sideways. And, and, and that's what you're seeing now in the big picture too. Like, so, but a much larger perspective, like, like, don't worry about price movement over six to eight months. Like, uh, you know, like find great companies. And over the long term, those companies tend to do very well in the stock market. Um, you know, as long as the businesses are performing well, and I would say in all those cases, the businesses are performing well. And that's what you should be concerned about. Don't don't necessarily worry about short term price movement. And I consider six, to eight months short term price movement. Uh, you know, the last year, all those stocks have done well. You know, they, they had great runs. And, and like I said, then sometimes they go sideways for a little bit. That's just the, the nature of the stock market and, and just focus on the long term. If those companies are performing well, uh, hold. And, and uh, you know, I, I own two of those three companies and I'm holding. I don't 
have any plans to sell those two of those three. And, uh, you know, I would, I would like to add at opportune times that maybe this is an opportune time for them, but, uh, don't, don't worry about short term. We're going to take one last question from our very own JT Street. And then for what we're watching, we're going to talk about healthcare as the tech world's new frontier. That's going to be led by Simon and Max because there is not a lot of detail in the script on where we're going to go on that one. But our very own JT Street, he's part of our marketing team. He asks, from an investing perspective, when do you forgive a company that is trying to turn over a new leaf after a, scam a scandal? A company that has potential but may still be dealing with restructuring debt from paying off a class action lawsuit, for example. I will let Steve Symington take this because uh, he's largely going to be shut out of the next segment. <sighs> when do you forgive a company trying to turn over a new leaf after a scandal? Uh, I think... Um... Actually, I really, really like some of your thoughts, Dan, when we were talking about this before. You, you forgive a company if they've made legitimate changes um, in, in response to that. Um, I, I think it's, you know, there's, you know, if it's if the scandal is like fraud, that's really hard um, <laughs> because, you know, it, it causes you to question the integrity of management. Um, so the, there there are are times when scandal is, is virtually sort of unforgivable as an investor. Um, but I'm looking for significant, meaningful, uh, actionable change, uh, before, you know, you're actually handling, uh, you're, you're forgiving a company like that and you're willing to continue holding them over long, you know, the long term. Um, because, you know, I, I'm thinking of this as, as though it's my own business because we act like we are part owners in a business because that's what you are when you're buying, a company like this. So think if this were my business, um, would I be willing to continue owning this? I, I would almost always want to see a change in management unless for some reason the scandal had nothing to do with management. Uh, but it's, if you're the boss, you're kind of the boss no matter what it is. Right. So I'd want to see them bring in someone who brought credibility and who could, could clean house. You know, companies... Right. Companies do come back, but most scandals, uh, it's hard to come back. Samsung uh, is a company that came back from a scandal. Chipotle, I would argue, yes, but I actually feel the Chipotle scandal was overblown. It was, a, yeah. a, a, you know, 135 people got the stomach, the stomach owies. It was, not, uh, it was not people dropping dead because of their burrito. But we're going to pivot now to what we're watching uh, as we move towards the end of the show. Uh, and all I have here is a headline, Healthcare as the World's Next front as the tech world's next frontier. Simon Erickson, what is it you're watching here? Yeah, Dan, uh, we, we might not have a whole lot of time to, to talk about this on today's show. This is really what I like to call a two beer conversation where you and I can <laughs> sit down and we just hash it out for a couple of hours, but just to kind of give my overall thinking on this, because it's very interesting to me. I, I spent the, this week at South by Southwest. It was online uh, this year, so I wasn't uh, having breakfast tacos in the morning and then beers on Sixth Street in the evenings, uh, which is a little different. Still had the beers in the evening. It just wasn't on 6th Street. But the the, the, uh, the, the the overall kind of takeaway is that there is such an interest in tech companies getting involved with, with healthcare, right? Every tech company, whether it's Alphabet, a really large company, whether it's a small tech company that's got wearable devices, wants to get involved in the healthcare industry. Why? Because we're spending $4 trillion a year on healthcare. And all of these companies are saying, hey, I can do that a lot more efficiency. Let me unleash the AI on this. And so we're already today starting to see wearable devices that can monitor our sleep habits and put those into an app. They can monitor our blood pressure or our heart rate and kind of put that into a fitness app. Uh, and even more complex things like monitor our insulin levels and, and tell us, okay, you need to you need to take a shot now because 
this is going to be healthy for you. And it's always been kind of framed as it's good for the consumer, right? Oh, we want you to be healthier. We want you to uh, be more in shape. We want to make sure that you're doing things on your own terms. And I, I think that kind of the dystopian future of this, or at least where we might be headed for this, is what happens when this nudge starts happening from insurance companies, from employers, from whoever else would have access to all of this data that's very interesting. And, um, you know, are you, are you going to give get higher insurance rates if you're not being healthy? Um, are there going to be society pressures or government pressures on now that all this information's out there, what is completely protected in terms of privacy versus what do you want to be available for the AI to make decisions off of? Because we know that more data leads to better AI trained algorithms. And, and so just kind of thinking this through, it's, it's fascinating that you've got a almost $4 trillion industry that has every large company that's a tech company interested in. You've got doctors that really want to help outcomes, and you've got just data that's overflowing that's available, but we don't know how to frame these bigger picture questions. And so that's how I can tee up the two-beer conversation, probably the 20-beer conversation, because it's a much longer conversation than that, about where is the future going to be for tech in healthcare. And we are definitely going to focus on South by Southwest in some of our shows next week. But uh, this has been a long show, so I want to throw this to Max. Max, privacy is something you're very concerned about. I know I would love to be able to tell my watch, my Apple Watch is pretty much my boss in terms of movement, but I'd love to be able to tell my watch, hey, if these warning signs happen, could you please call my doctor? You know, like if my heart rate goes to 210 for 30 seconds and then falls to 20, that's probably a really bad sign. So whatever it is, I'd also like my watch to be able to tell me when to take a drink, when I need more sleep, whatever it is. But obviously, if your watch records that, that information exists. How do you feel privacy is going to play a role in this? Yeah, I think we would need to address some of those, uh, you know, privacy concerns through just better legislation, right? Um, I mean, regulations always kind of lag uh, innovation, right, by however many years. Uh, so we would probably need to address that. It seems like the industry is taking steps, maybe as an uh, olive branch to kind of lower the temperature for some of these uh, antitrust uh, insights um, going on right now. Right, We saw like uh, Apple's taking a big stance on uh, privacy of their customers. Uh, Google's getting rid of like cookies for its ads for individual tracking. Um, you know, so those are interesting things to keep an eye on and hopefully the privacy tech industry develops, it would be huge for healthcare. It's going to be required. I think, um, we've already seen that trip up other things like, you know, IBM Watson. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting, it's definitely a big opportunity, but, um, you know, again, maybe just to play devil's advocate, my, uh, my colleagues here know I do that to a fault sometimes maybe, but, uh, you know, you have to, we might have limited insights into health based on, um, you know, external things we can detect, right? Your heart rate is valuable, but how valuable is it? Can we actually correlate that to other health conditions? Maybe we could if we had a ton of data all the time from you know millions of people. Maybe we would find things that we didn't know, uh, that we don't know now. Um, sleep is very important for health. Um, there's a good book actually called Why We Sleep. It's written by uh, Dr. Walker. Uh, amazing book. I recommend it to everybody. But uh, sleep is actually the number one indicator of whether or not you're going to develop uh, dementia or Alzheimer's. So we can actually detect and predict if someone's going to develop Alzheimer's um, based on their sleep patterns many years in advance. Uh, that's not something you see very much, right? All these pharmaceutical companies are chasing some wonder drug that's going to magically reverse or slow. Maybe it just comes down to sleep. Like we don't even think of it in that way. Um, so maybe some of these wearables can help in those areas. But uh, again, I'm always like trying to combat in my own framework and analysis. Is this technological hype? I always ask that question. Uh, I try to remain grounded and objective. So uh, it's very complicated. Privacy, we even need all this data? Is it very valuable? 
Um, so, but it's definitely a big opportunity there for, for some of these big companies. But Max, if I sleep, I'm going to miss something. And that's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a big sleeper. So now I have one more thing to worry about. Simon, again, we're going to spend a lot of time on this next week. But was there anything in the healthcare space at South by Southwest that just wowed you or, or sort of a, a big takeaway? Because we know this is coming. We're starting to see your watches. Uh, you know, I have the Fitbit watch that can track your mood and your sleep. And I didn't find that it worked all that well. Uh, but I think we're moving into that world. What did you see at Pretend Virtual South by Southwest? Yeah, the big thing is exactly like Max said, is like, what's the quality of the data that you have access to, right? Okay, it's great. You can monitor your heart rate. You can get some other kind of peripheral data from biometrics. The real interesting stuff is, does Google get embedded with the electronic health record? Do the hospital say, you can look at patient data and start using AI on that? That's the big question of how far is, uh, what was it, Google Nightingale, I think the project a couple of years ago, they actually got some, uh, data from Ascension Healthcare and in Kansas, I believe, Midwest United States. I mean, are, are we going there or is this still going to be Fitbit, you know, wearable devices? Uh, it's great that it's consumer facing. The, the big, big question, Dan, is, is how high of quality uh, do AI and tech companies have access to? I am really excited for the ability for aggregate data. Uh, we're seeing Apple ask you questions. Can we track this and put it into an aggregate? And they might be able to find things out like, Hey, how come there's a higher rate of uh, you know high blood pressure in South Florida? Well, maybe because it's always 92% humid here. But you know they're going to find things out by being able to track this that could benefit us. But with that, we're nearing the end of the show here, and we've all been at our computers. I've been sitting under three very bright lights since 10 a.m. So I am not normally this red. I am not normally sweating this much during Seven Investing now. And we're going to do it again. We're going to be back later to record our team call. That's where we pitch each other on our stocks for next month. If you're a seven investing member, we release that. Steve, is it the eighth of the month we release those calls? Our deep dives, yeah. Yep. So that's basically, you can read our recommendation, but if you really want to see us passionately talk about the stock, lay out all these amazing slideshows that Max has helped us with, uh, you know, or fumble to get the slideshow up, as is usually the case with, with mine, um, you can do that if you're a member. To become a member, Sam Bailey, let's share it one more time. That is seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. And Simon, right now, there, there's a little secret. We'll say it quietly. Is there a code you can use to get a discount? Uh, just whisper because, you know, we don't want to give this away to everybody. Is there a code you can use to get your first month for $10 or your one-year subscription for $160, not $170? Yes, we have a lot of uh, affiliates that are out there. Or if you wanted to share your own referral code as a subscriber for anyone, that will give you $10 off of their first order and even better, an extra special secret, Dan, you get a free month for sharing the code if you're a subscriber as well. So even better than paying for 7investing, getting access to all of our stock picks, not paying for 7investing and still getting access to all of our stock picks. <laughs> With that, we're on the top rope. Let's hit our finisher, Sam Bailey. Thank you for that. Uh, I want to preface this a little bit. Leave this up, Sam, while I do it. I picked these four companies because I could make an argument that all of them are good investments. This wasn't a sort of 2,300 people voted in this poll. I just wanted to frame it a little bit. Uh, which of these are you least interested in investing? 34.8% said Bitcoin, 27.7% said Tesla, 11.2% said C Limited, and 26.4% said Mercado Libre. I would personally go with Tesla, and it's not because I don't believe in the company, but the valuation is really high, and the CEO is prone to doing things that could eliminate value. Uh, so that scares me quite a bit. Matt Cochran, is there one of these that jumps out on your list that you wouldn't want to own? My my audio is cutting out, Dan. I'm sorry. 
Uh, we will go to Steve Symington. Steve, is there one of these that you uh, wouldn't want to own? I, I probably, I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't want to own any any of the four, but I'd say of the four, uh, I'm least interested in owning Mercado Libre. Uh, and it's not because it's a bad company. It's because I think maybe there's better stocks I can put my money to work in. And uh, Bitcoin is increasingly intriguing. Uh, and, you know, C-Limited is a really interesting company. And uh, I own shares of Tesla, so obviously that's not that's not the one. But yeah, I, I guess I would, you know, if I'm forced to choose between four decent options, uh, I'd go with with option four. I, I would just go with all of these that these are all things I'm skeptical of. But whether it's our partnership with Crypto EQ, where we've learned more about the Bitcoin world uh, and the cryptocurrency world in general, whether it's our friends in the investing space, uh, uh, our friend Danny Vena is passionate about Mercado Libre, and we've talked about this, uh, you know, over virtual cups of coffee, and and many of us, uh, you know, are passionate about C Limited and have other things there. Simon Erickson, as we close out the show, I'll let you weigh in. Is there one of these that that strikes you as I'm not that interested? Oh, gosh, I'm interested in all of those, Dan. Those are great options. I love the way you framed it. It's like, hey, which are you least interested in with these four great options, like Steve said? If I had to pick one, I'd probably pick C, just because of the oversight that Tencent has on that organization. But I, I do like every one of those picks. Max Chasco, I'm not entirely sure you care all that much about this question, but I will give you a chance to weigh in. Uh, are, is there one here that jumps out to you? Are, are you? You're young. Do you own a bunch of Bitcoin? No, I actually don't know anything about uh, C or Mercado Libre. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing those right. I know that's pretty embarrassing. So between Tesla and Bitcoin, I would actually rather own Tesla than Bitcoin, uh, even though I think Tesla's pretty overvalued. So maybe Steve's ears are perking up right now. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, Simon, can I pay for a Tesla in Bitcoin? Of course. That's what Elon's stocking Bitcoin on his corporate treasuries to enable. So um, maybe that'll get Max more interested in Tesla in the future when he can pay for it in Bitcoin. With that, we have come to the end of the program. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at info at seveninvesting.com. That is questions about the service, questions about your membership, questions if you want to be a member, uh, you know, recipes if you want. Matt can send some of those over. Uh, you know, generally, not questions about specific stocks. We tend to handle specific stocks uh, either on the live stream here uh, or on our members-only calls, uh, especially if it's something we've recommended or something we're thinking about recommending. If you want to engage with us publicly, and we love doing this, we appreciate that 2,300 people voted on our poll. That's more than you get for like popular radio shows in, in local markets. So, so that was a big deal. Uh, but if you'd like to interact with us on Twitter, that's at 7investing. Uh, and all of us see it. Every one of us has access to the account. We, of course, also have our personal accounts. Uh, but we very much appreciate, especially those of you that have been with us since 11 o'clock or even 10 o'clock this morning, if there was a new member that stuck around for the subscriber call and then joined us through this. But with that, Monday, we will be live from Las Vegas. I will be live in Las Vegas. The rest of the team will not be. I might be in a hotel room. I might be in a Kinko's. We are not entirely sure. Uh, but that being said, we will see you on Monday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.